what's going on everyone welcome into the pfn fantasy football podcast my name is kyle yates and i'm your host i can be found on twitter at kyle YNFL. no kyle Sapi, no Derek tate here for this episode i brought in dalton miller a member of the pfn scouting fantasy or scouting team here at pro football network and of course my very good friend trevor sikama he can be found on twitter at tampa bay trey dalton i will come back to you in a second trev how are we doing today my friend Dude, it's awesome. You know, we were joking before you hit record. You know, it's that time of year, right? When you and I get to do some podcasts together, means it's draft season. Uh, I'm very excited to hear both what you and Dalton have to say about these prospects. I love reading you guys and listening to you guys' work. So getting to do this actually live is a nice treat for me because normally I'm listening or watching or whatever it is. And so now we actually get to have a conversation about it. So I'm excited, man. This is going to be a lot of fun. Dalton, you're making your appearance here on the PFN Fantasy Football Podcast. How are you today, my friend? I am fantastic. You know, I'm a little bit later in the day. It's 2 p.m. here in Portugal. So, you know, I, I woke up, had the baby duty and uh, got a workout in and now I'm ready to get to work. Let's do it. Let's get to talking about some of the 2024 NFL draft prospects here as we turn the page officially. The first dynasty episode here on the podcast as we turn the page towards the offseason here. Before we do that, though, I wanted to ask Trev a question here. How many other running backs in the NFL would you take over Kyron Williams right now? Oh, none. Yeah, zero. No, the answer is the answer is obviously zero. Uh, I don't know if anybody listening <laughs> knows the inside joke that we have there because they're probably uh, throwing things at their uh, at their computer or or wherever they're listening to this podcast. But Kyle and I have a little back and forth, a little history of the fact that we loved Kyron Williams coming out of Notre Dame. It took a little while, but now obviously he's he's been an absolute stud this year. So yeah, of course the answer is no. Nobody runs harder. You know, nobody's got the softer hands. Nobody can pass protect better. Uh, future Hall of Famer, as we have. Ooh often said listen i would i it would have been a disservice if i had not included kyron williams <laughs> off the top of this podcast we will talk about kyron williams from a dynasty perspective here this offseason don't you worry about that guys if you have not heard espn's new sports betting app espn bet is now live secure 250 dollars in bonus bets by signing up with the link in the episode description and use the promo code pfn and you will instantly have 200 in bonus bets in your account plus another 50 dollars within 24 hours must be physically present in one of the 17 states that legally have espn bet for bonuses 21 years and older and present in participating states gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER additionally if you are listening to this over on the podcast the pfn fantasy football podcast you can watch it over on youtube youtube.com slash pfn fantasy make sure to hit that like button subscribe to the channel and click the bell to get notified for when our new content drops let's get into it here i wanted to go kind of position group by position group as we take a very macro level view again we will get into the specifics of these players and these prospects and we'll have you covered from a dynasty perspective and what you need to do in your dynasty rookie drafts there's plenty of time for that here as the offseason progresses but i wanted to kick into gear here as we talk about at least the strengths of the class what who are some of the players that we need to know about so trev i'm going to start here with you as we look at the quarterback position let's start here who are the top names at the top of this position group that fantasy managers need to know about? So, I mean, they probably are familiar with the names Drake May and Caleb Williams already. I mean, these have been two of the best quarterbacks, standout quarterbacks in college football over the last couple of seasons. And the one thing that I really point out is people look at Caleb Williams specifically and they say, oh, look at what he does at a structure. Like he's so great with his legs as well, added mobility. And people look at him and think, OK, he's the dual threat. No, no, no. Drake May can also run the football. You know, Drake May's got a lot of really good production. He's got rushing grades above the 70s in, 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 um, in PFF's database. He's got 16 rushing touchdowns over the last two years. So it's like these two would be fantastic fantasy quarterbacks no matter what. I think that they both bring a lot of return on investment for both areas there. Jaden Daniels is the one who is, I don't want to say like come out of nowhere because that would be a disservice to him, but 
he was not really a, a draftable type of prospect when he was at Arizona State. Played there for a couple seasons. Goes to LSU, not this past year, but the year before. You could tell he really worked in on limiting the turnovers. Like, he just did not want to put the ball in harm's way. He was trying to read the field a lot better. And because of that, you saw one of the lowest turnover-worthy play marks um, in, in the country. But he wasn't pushing the ball very far downfield. This year, you could tell he made a conscious effort. Hey, I want to take those characteristics of the low turnovers, and I also now want to become more of an explosive player, some of the stuff that we saw at Arizona State. And holy cow, did we ever. Obviously, a Heisman Trophy winning year, elite passing grades, elite rushing grades, production all over the place. He's another dual threat kind of a guy. And then the other two that I'll bring to the table, Michael Penix Jr., who has had a phenomenal season this year, just an absolutely monster season, which he was a Heisman Trophy finalist as well. Ton of big-time throws, big-time passer. Isn't going to give you a ton with his legs, but, man, just the way that he could push it deep down the field when you talk about fantasy numbers and jacking all those things up, this guy's got the arm to do it. The other guy that I'll throw in is Bo Nix. I understand anybody who watched Bo Nix play at Oregon, you're probably rolling your eyes or, 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 or just, like, shivering hearing that, but these last two years that he has played at Oregon, he's been a different quarterback, not putting the ball in harm's way, dealing with pressure a lot better, seeing the field, and he, again, brings that added element of mobility as well. He's got, he's got NFL um, athletic abilities with his arms and with his legs. So I think that, again, he could be somebody who, for the fantasy community, if Knicks gets into a situation where he ends up getting drafted in the first round, which I think is going to happen, probably going to start at some point in his rookie season. So that anytime you get that bonus of, hey, he can get your points either way, I think all four of those quarterbacks are guys that could be, or sorry, five of those quarterbacks are guys that could be heavy fantasy return on investment guys. It's an interesting mixture there of that top five where you've got guys like Caleb Williams and Drake May, which the majority of people, if you paid any sense of attention to college football this year, you know those two names. And then mixed with Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, and Jaden Daniels that you mentioned that have been in college football seemingly, they graduated high school, I feel like the same year that I did. Like they have been in college football <laughs> forever so I feel like there is a sense where people know those as well Dalton as we look at as let's talk about Caleb Williams and Drake May for a second as we look at the top two guys here which seemingly to be the consensus at this point obviously as we get into draft season we all know this consensus is going to deviate here at some point we will see some different rankings but put this into perspective of previous classes as we look at guys like Trevor Lawrence coming out Joe Burrow um I we held in reverence that 2021 NFL draft class that now has just completely fallen to shambles. But as we look at Caleb Williams and Drake May, where do those guys fall in that hierarchy for you? How should we be viewing them as prospects? Yeah, I mean, this kind of reminds me of that Trevor Lawrence and, and Justin Fields class. I thought that those two guys were incredibly talented players. And it, it's a little bit reminiscent of that because I think Trevor Lawrence is a guy you know, not as fluid um, as a, a creator as Caleb Williams is. He's obviously on a completely different level. Um, but those high-level traits that you really can't teach is something that Trevor Lawrence really had. Um, and when you look at somebody like Drake May, for me, he is that more quintessential uh, you know, quarterback prospect, 6'3", 6'4", maybe 6'5", 230 pounds, built like a, a brick house. And for me, when I see him play, you know, they talk about the creation ability of Caleb Williams. Like Trevor said, I see that exact same thing with a guy like Drake May. And for me, with May, his rushing ability kind of reminds me a little bit of Daniel Jones, except for he is a bigger, stronger guy. So he can bring you a little bit more in, I think, the um, designed run aspect of this outside of just the creation ability and uh 
things of that nature. So for me, those are the top two guys still. Um, I have been a Jaden Daniels fan. I know we're not talking about him yet um, for me, but I have to bring him up because since he was a freshman at Arizona State, I said this 170-pound dude (laughs) with shoulders that might be a foot wide. He has something there. There's something there with this kid. And it took him a very long time to get it going. And listen, Lamar Jackson is Lamar Jackson, and nobody can really replicate what he's able to do. But there are very few guys who bring – that type of dual threat where you are endlessly explosive, endlessly elusive. And that is what Jaden Daniels is very much like Lamar Jackson. I think the problem even more for him than Jackson is that Jaden Daniels also thinks that he's the size of Josh Allen. (laughs) So he will go and try to hurdle guys and try to run into dudes and Like he has, he's put some muscle on, he's put some weight on, but he is still the slim reaper of quarterbacks. So I think taking less, and that's what kind of scares me with Daniels as, you know, maybe from the fantasy side of things is how is his body going to be able to hold up at the NFL level? Not because of him being a dual threat, but because of how reckless he is as a dual threat. Uh, before we move on from the quarterbacks, I did want to pick Trev's brain here really quick. Uh, with Caleb Williams, one of the big knocks and I guess advantages and disadvantages of Caleb Williams is that he can extend plays. He can create on his own, but you look at his average time to throw and it is just absolutely absurd. Do we believe, based on what you have studied from Caleb Williams' tape, do you believe that he can operate within structure? Is that something that is in his skill set or is he really out there playing backyard football? No, I think that he can because there's there's plenty of plays where he does. He just, yeah, I, the the offensive culture in, in USC is so strange. Obviously, like a Lincoln Riley offense, we even saw this with Spencer Rattler back at Oklahoma. Like you're just holding on to the ball because you're playing this backyard style where you know that somebody's going to get open. And a lot of times at Oklahoma, they weren't playing the best level of competition, very spread out defense as well. So it was true. I mean, you saw like a ton of those big throws, and now you go over to USC and. You look at USC's defense, and you know, look, Caleb Williams isn't ignorant, right? I mean, like he's he 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 may be these guys' teammates, but he understands that they had one of the worst defenses in the country when it came to points allowed, uh, really over the last couple of years, but this year especially. Caleb basically had to think: if I don't score a touchdown on every single drive, we might not win this game, and that was actually true for a couple of those weeks. And so you wonder, okay, how much of him holding on to the ball for a long time is that? is a Lincoln Riley type of stretch system and the defense being so bad and how much of it is him having this viewpoint of how to play offense that would be detrimental because it is, there's no doubt about it. I'm over here watching, you know, the wide receivers for USC over the last couple of years, because they've had a handful of draft eligible guys. Uh, Brandon Rice is one of those guys this year. Taj Washington is one of those guys this year. Jordan Addison last year, right? There's a lot of different wide receivers that I've watched. And there's plenty of times where I'm watching their film and they get open But the route ain't deep enough, so Caleb's not looking their way. And I'm like, come on, man. You just got to throw him the ball. It's a free eight yards. And that happens way too often. You cannot do those types of things and succeed in the NFL. Uh, I think for for context here, over the last two years, Caleb Williams has had a time-to-throw average of 3.44 seconds and 3.21 seconds. In the NFL (laughs) last year, the only quarterback, the only quarterback – with a time to throw above three was Justin Fields. And this is not like what we have seen recently for Justin Fields. This was really struggling Justin Fields. He was the only 
full-time starting quarterback who had one above three and it was like 3.6 like it wasn't even close to what Caleb's was so there's no doubt about it this isn't just a sweep it under the rug like yeah yeah it's fine I mean he hold on to the ball a little bit too long if this doesn't get better he is going to be in trouble but to answer your original question I've seen him work under structure so well I've seen him have that arm strength that poise that ball placement that accuracy nowhere to go with it I've seen that from him He's got to see it a little bit more. So it's going to be some growing pains for him going from where he is now to the NFL, but it is possible because we have seen it. I did want to ask that question because I think that people are starting to put Caleb Williams already onto this pedestal because we've all seen the highlights. And if you have not seen the Caleb Williams highlights, like pause this, go watch some of them because they're absolutely jaw dropping. We've seen the high level plays. And I think that people are putting him onto like, he is the shoe in generational prospect, can't miss all this sort of stuff. I did want to at least have that conversation to make sure that we keep that within reason here as we move throughout the rest of the offseason let's go to the running back position here Trev I'll throw it right back to you as we look at this running back class here in 2024 there is not a Bijan Robinson there is not a Saquon Barkley here this high level can't miss prospect that we're all need to get really really excited about drafting at the top of our 2024 dynasty rookie drafts but what is the overall strength of this class Depth, I hope you know when <laughs> when you look at this draft like I don't I don't know when the first running back is going to come off the board. And this draft is reminiscent to me of that 2014 draft where Bishop Sankey is RB1 and it's pick 54. You know, we got to wait more than 50 picks to get our first running back off the board. I don't know if that's going to be the case this year, but kind of any way you look at it, there's not really a great argument for a guy to be in that top 50. I love Jonathan Brooks from Texas. I love what I've seen from him this year, but you know he's coming off that ACL injury. So, okay, are you really taking a running back like that? He's got one year of starting production, although it was really good. One year of starting production. Now with a knee injury going to the NFL, I don't know about that. I thought Blake Corum looked fantastic the previous season. He probably would have been a top 50, top 40 pick if he would have been able to go out last year, but he had that knee injury as well. This past year just was not nearly as efficient as he had been in years past, which is kind of worrisome. End of the year strong, which was nice, but I don't know if that spells out a top 50 pick for him. His teammate, Blake or uh, Donovan Edwards, ton of speed, ton of athleticism. Anybody who watched the national championship right. can tell you that now, but still how he reads the field, how he reads blocks. It's not, he's just not an efficient runner. Um, then you've got guys like, you know, Trevion Henderson, who hasn't fully made a decision yet. The running back from Ohio state, but with Quinshawn Judkins, the stud running back from Ole Miss now committing to Ohio state feels like Henderson's going to declare really great athleticism, but Again, not a ton of efficiency there for him. So there's there's a lot of like names that people have thrown out there as a potential RB1 type. Um, and I can get into some of the guys within this group that I really think have the best chance to be the most efficient running back. But of the players that it feels like we have named over the last, say, six months, nobody really took the bull by the horns, if you will. And, and that's why I'm, I wonder if we even get a back draft in the top 50 this year. I did not have a Bishop Sankey uh, reference on my bingo card for this podcast, but Trevor Sigma, that's what you bring to the table. Uh, Dalton, as we look at this running back class, I think Travion Henderson has been a player that fantasy managers have had their eyes on for several years now. The talent jumps off the tape, but just has not put it all together. What are your overall impressions here of this running back class? 
Yeah, I think the the biggest issue with Henderson is just kind of the nagging injuries that he's fought the past couple of seasons. Like like Trev said, he's endlessly explosive, but the problem is efficiency and injuries with him. And we kind of see that with some other guys in this draft class. I think for me, the guy that I've always just gravitated towards because I love the way that he runs is Bucky Irving. But like you're not drafting Bucky Irving before pick, you know, like 75, in my opinion. So it's really where you want to go in this draft. And I, I think from a fantasy perspective, there's not anything that you really love before you see what situation these guys end up in Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day when you're looking at running backs especially running backs who are not you know your B. John Robinson types it's it's what situation do they fall into at the NFL level where you can see like hey this dude could have a ton of success I think that there's a couple of guys in this class that are are going to be solid running backs at the NFL level I love Trey Benson from Florida State um, Jonathan Brooks, like like Trev said, was awesome this year, but he's coming off an ACL. Might take him some time to get back. I love the way that uh, Audric Estime runs at North at uh, Notre Dame, um, and then guys, you know, later in the draft, Blake Corum didn't have a, a fantastic year this year. He's been battling through injuries, but the minute I saw him in that post game press conference with blood streaming down his nose. I said, this is a guy that I just kind of want on my football team, no matter what. Um, and then guys later in this draft, you're looking at, you know, Dylan, your Dylan Johnson, your Ray Davis is the older guys who might be able to contribute right away, but aren't super explosive guys either. And so you really have to wonder about their upside as a, a fantasy player. So it's just a, a weird class overall at running back. I think that what you said there at the beginning is really, really important as we kind of take away what's the takeaway here from the running back discussion is that there isn't a player that is landing spot proof or like is this generational they're going to be contributors regardless of where they land it is situation dependent here to kind of keep that in mind let's move over to the wide receiver class which based on my research fellas is a little bit different here than the running back class i think we need to get a little bit excited here about these wide receivers so let's talk about here at least the top let's talk about the top name here trev marvin harrison jr is Pretty much consensus wide receiver one here. If you have watched any Ohio State football, you know what this guy can bring to the table. Absolutely incredible. So what are your overall takeaways here on Marvin Harrison Jr.? And where does he fall in comparison to top tier prospects that we've seen coming out here in recent years like Jamar Chase? I'm, I'm waiting to do kind of like a final regular season film review on the quarterback position until we get past the official draft declaration yeah. date because I want to see exactly which quarterbacks are going to be in this class. But I've done a handful of other positions. Wide receiver is one of them. I cannot imagine why Marvin Harrison Jr. is not going to be player one for me based off of film grades. I mean, the dude's nuts. <laughs> Marvin Harrison Jr., okay, his father, Marvin Harrison Sr., on the end of a uh, quite a few paid Manning passes. He's an NFL Hall of Famer. He's one of the best receivers that we've seen since the year 2000, maybe of all time, you could say that. His son is bigger, taller, faster than he is. And we're just, we talking about a Hall of Fame. So you're taking you're taking a lot of that that quickness, that high football IQ, that football background, like everything that Marvin Harrison Jr. had growing up and then you're putting it in a dude who is 6 foot 4, 205 pounds. I don't know what the man is bad at because if there's things that I've seen over the last couple of years where it's like, "Oh, okay, he didn't handle that perfectly. I'll probably see him do it again at a better level later in that very game or the next week, whatever it is." Like, "Okay, He's not going to have 4-3 speed. You don't have to look at him like that, though. That doesn't take away from like what he is as a prospect realistically. He, I think he's got great vertical speed, especially given his size and how big he is. He's got tremendously quick feet for a player who is as long as he is. He's got great movement skills. His hips can flip incredibly quickly. He's got a variety of different releases that he knows how to set up press coverage defenders to get off press very, very quickly. Incredible hands. 
some of the most explosive plays that you'll see in college football over the last couple of seasons, a diverse route tree, contested catchability, can play on the outside, can play on the inside. It's just this dude is phenomenal. And, and we're talking about him in the vein of you got three teams right now who are in the top three. You got the Chicago Bears, who obviously are picking where the Carolina Panthers are at number one. You got the Washington Commanders at number two, and then you got the New England Patriots at number three. We figure that Drake May and Caleb Williams are probably going to occupy two of those spots. But then all three of those teams could use quarterbacks. If you take Caleb Williams and Drake May off the board at one and two, we're talking about Marvin Harrison Jr. being the no question about it number three overall player. And that is that is for a team that has one of the most desperate needs at quarterback you will find in the NFL. Right. We've got Jaden Daniels on the board. We got Bo Nix. We got Michael Penix, like all these guys. I think Daniels is probably the only one who actually has a shot at going number three overall. But you guys know what I'm saying. We're talking about a wide receiver going ahead of a team that desperately needs a quarterback. That's how talented this dude is. He's such a major difference maker. He can impact an offense in a, in a variety of ways just by being on the field. He's a stud. I have only scouted one. I've only had time to scout one player so far in this draft class and do a full tape dive. It has been Marvin Harrison Jr. One of the big things, like 6'4", 205. You expect a player like that, Mike Williams, like to be this big outside X receiver that's going to win deep downfield. And he can do that. But one of the things that I really came away with impressed with Marvin Harrison Jr. is his alignment versatility, the ability that he has to be able to go inside and win in zone coverage and understand leverage and like and quickness and underneath routes like that's rare for a player that's 6'4", 205 to be able to do that. But then also brings the deep threat, you know, contested catchability deep downfield. Dalton, takeaways here on Marvin Harrison Jr. before we move on to some of the other players. Yeah, Trevor Tease did a little bit, but uh, I'm just going to go out there and say it. I think he's the best prospect I've ever watched. It's just there, like Trev said, there's no weakness. There's there's nothing that you can look at with Marvin Harrison Jr. and say he's he's not even that he's bad at it, but that he's less than above average at it. Because I think the one thing I wanted to see a little bit more coming into this year was that post catch ability. Well, he just came out and showed that this year. And then you also look at the sideline awareness that he has, the ability to fight you know, through the stem and through route breaks and be able to fight through contact and finish catches that just nobody else is making consistently at the college or at the NFL level for that respect. I just, I think that he is the most complete prospect that I have ever watched. And, and, you know, I've only been doing this now since about 2017, but I just don't think that there's anybody who's been close to this. As we look at the other names here at the wide receiver position in this class, Two of the names that immediately jump out are Roma Dunze, who we just got to watch last night here as we record this on Tuesday morning in the national championship, and then Malik Neighbors of LSU catching passes there from Jaden Daniels. So let's talk about those guys. Trev, how far behind Marvin Harrison Jr. in this class are prospects like Rome and uh, Malik Neighbors? Yeah, look, it's a damn shame for those two dudes that, they're, <laughs> that they happen to be in the same draft class as Marvin Harrison Jr. Because I'm going to be honest, in most other draft classes, both of these guys could be easy wide receiver ones. I mean, like, Malik Neighbors' separation ability, his movement skills are just unreal, man. I, this is a dude who, to me, wins in similar ways like we saw Antonio Brown do when he was at the prime, when he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And it was it was that way that he won where AB could cha he could change direction and yet speed up at the same time, which is just yeah. – and I'm talking about like true – hard cuts in his routes and yet he is still like speeding up while he does it he does not lose speed he doesn't momentum he does not give defenders the chance to even stop and start even some of the best who have uh, really good click and close ability 
AB just did not afford you that luxury. He did not allow you to catch up with him. The separation was always growing the further the play went on. That's how Malik Neighbors feels. Malik Neighbors is somebody who the longer the play goes on, the more separation this guy is going to have. So the way that he can run routes, that sort of unique athletic ability, um, all of that, just so incredible for him. He's a, he's a great downfield threat. He's a great yards after catch guy. He's phenomenal. Romo Dunze, man, six foot three, 215 pounds. Okay, really smooth moving athlete for a player of his size. You talked about um, alignment versatility. I think Romo Dunze can certainly do that for you, although he plays a lot on the outside because Washington's offense is predicated off of those deep shots deep down the sideline, more outside the numbers. So that's where he plays a lot. Going into the year, I was a little worried about his, uh, it sounds silly to say this now, but contested catchability. Because when you looked at him the last couple of years, it's like, man, not that contested catchability was horrible, but six foot three, 215 pounds, you know, he's a big, strong dude, and they throw it deep to him. So when you're, when you're catching passes, you know, 20, 30 yards down the field, a lot of times defenders are going to be all over you. Those are some high contact situations. And Odunze just wasn't as dominant as I really wanted him to be. This year, he's been incredible. He's been one of the best contested catch receivers in the country, and we see that week in and week out. So now you've got great agility, great change of direction ability for a player that has his mass and size to him, Uh, and now you have that uh, ability to check the box of him being a contested catch receiver as well. He is the total package too. I think all three of these guys, even like in this class, a class with good quarterbacks, good offensive tackles, good edge rushers, all three of them could be top 10 picks when it's all said and done. Dalton, your running mate on the PFN Scouting Podcast, Ian Cummings, compared uh, Romo Dunze to Keenan Allen. And it's one of the ones that I absolutely love. When you're looking at his tape, you can easily see that jumping off. What are your takeaways here with Romo Dunze and Malik Neighbors? Yeah, I think he's a more, first of all, with Odunze, I think he's a better natural downfield threat than Keenan Allen, uh, who just separates at will, even though, you know, he's not the fastest guy in the world. But in, in in that same vein, I think when you watch Odunze, you would not think that this is a dude who apparently ran a 4-3-4 um, because he doesn't really go and, and wow you with speed on the field. And I think when I watched him over the summer, I thought, you know, this is a guy who, you know, is, is a, you know, around around one guy and then just as the season wore on, it was like, okay, he might be, you know, a top 20 guy. Well, he might be a top 15 guy. He's a top 10 guy and he might be wide receiver too at this point. And listen, I love Malik neighbors. I think with neighbors, the one thing that really stood out to me and the only thing I think that Trev didn't mention was that he is an absolute bully along the stem. And for being a guy who was about six foot tall, you know, hundred between 190 and 200 pounds, you don't really expect him to be as physical as he is. And I also think that that helps him after the catch with, with Trev already talked about with him as a post catch weapon. And yeah, these two guys could both be wide receiver ones in many classes. And you're looking at, you know, guys who might be falling outside of the top 10 in this draft class. And there are going to be a couple of teams that are incredibly happy uh, with what they get from these two guys. I I think when I look at it and I'm trying to stack them, um, I I think it kind of comes down to what you want in your offense. Do you want a a guy who might have a little bit more alignment versatility? I mean, when we watch Malik Neighbors, the one thing we really think of are those slot fades. Um, One of the most indefensible routes um, in football, and he does that at an incredibly high level. But I I think that's the same thing that Roma Dunze could do if he was able uh, to play a little bit more with uh, alignment versatility. So it all comes down to what kind of receiver, what archetype receiver you kind of want within the top 10. 
Trev, as we look at the rest of the names here at the wide receiver class, I mean, it's a loaded, deep class here. Who are some of the other at least top names that we need to be keeping an eye out for as we move into the rest of the offseason? Dude, I, I mean, it is. It, it, it's loaded. Look, I had I had Jackson Smith and Jigba as my wide receiver one last year. I mean, Smith and Jigba is maybe like wide receiver five, six for me mm-hmm. in this class, seven even. That's how good I think the rest of this group is, which is really saying something. I think uh, Malik Neighbors' teammate, uh, Brian Thomas Jr., I think is, is another really talented player. I think both him and Troy Franklin are kind of the next on this list for me. These guys who really are these bigger, taller receivers, know how to get vertical, know how to get off press coverage. The thing I like so much about Troy Franklin, especially this year, is, man, those feet move fast. He had a lot of missed tackles forced this year when it came to yards after the catch, which you love. I mean, that fancy footwork, that'll help you when it comes to getting off press coverage before you get the ball, and it helps him um, when he's getting those extra yards after the catch, too. Lad McConkey, love him from Georgia. He is this dude who, all right, five foot 11, uh, 185 pounds. You look at him, you go, oh, okay, just like a slot receiver. But he's not, and Georgia doesn't play him like that. Georgia has guys that are much bigger than him, that are these high recruits who are six foot three, six foot four, all that. And and yet Lad McConkey's sitting here playing outside receiver for them. He could play on the line of scrimmage because he's that good at getting off press. He could play as a flanker off the line of scrimmage. Certainly he can play from the slot as well, but beautiful route runner, very controlled football player. I consistently give him to the Carolina Panthers at the top of the second round, just because if he went to the Panthers, he 120 targets, like minimum, if he, if he ends up going to the Panthers at the top of the second round. But so many guys like that, and that's not even mentioning, you know, Keon Coleman from Florida State, A.D. Right. Mitchell from Texas, Xavier Worthy from Texas, Xavier Leggett from South Carolina, Tez Walker, one of the best deep threats that we have in this class from UNC. And I just these are players that I'm rattling off the top of my head easy. And I just named 10, 11 guys. We say it all the time. The wide receiver class is good this year. The wide receiver class is good this year. The wide receiver class is elite this year i think that we are going to have a league changing wide receiver class this year with how many impact players we have to choose from i love it let's move into the tight end conversation here to wrap this up i think that we need to start the conversation with a player that most people are aware of in college football you talk about lad mcconkey his teammate at georgia brock bowers dalton i'm going to send this to you first As we talk about Brock Bowers, where in comparison, because I think that people recognize this guy is a fantastic prospect, the conversation this entire offseason will be, as far as prospects, where does he compare to Kyle Pitts? Yeah, um, and and it's a really difficult question to answer because they're very different prospects. I mean, when you look at them, they're both elite receiving threats, but they are very different players in that respect. I, I think when you look at somebody like Brock Bowers, he's really what the evolution of the tight end position has become, whereas Kyle Pitts is a little bit more of a wide receiver in a tight end's body. I think when you look at Bowers, he's somebody who you don't just throw the ball to him. And and Georgia didn't just throw the ball to him. They handed the ball off to him. And I think the biggest thing with him is that sneaky explosiveness that he plays with to actually beat secondary members to the edge as a runner which you just don't see very often from tight ends and then he gets the same type of athletic ability where at as a 240 pound human being you're going to see safeties and cornerbacks try to tackle him low and he's just going to jump right over you he's also quick enough to make you miss as a secondary member and then also break tackles this dude is the entire package as a tight end on top of being able to block which you know from a fantasy perspective doesn't really matter all that much but he's going to see the field very early very often and again i think and even more importantly with him situation matters especially when it comes to tight end. If you don't go to a situation 
where the offensive coordinator is going to make a concerted effort to get you the football early and often. You're just not going to see the football early and often. And that's something that we've seen, unfortunately, with Kyle Pitts over the past two years. Trev Dalton just talked about situation mattering there for Brock Bowers in the tight end position. I think the draft capital plays a massive role in that, right? If you get the draft capital, you're going to be on the field, most likely outside of Arthur Smith deploying Kyle Pitts. But that's another conversation for another day. Trev, what are your takeaways on Brock Bowers here as a prospect? No, I mean, Brock's phenomenal. Last three years, and and we're talking about we're not just talking about any program here. We're not just talking about, oh, we've got a good player. Let, let, let's get him on the field. This is Georgia. This is one of the best college football teams that we've seen since the turn of the century over the last couple of years with their back-to-back national championship runs. I, if they would have made the college football playoff, who knows? They might have three-peated this year, right? So we're talking about an absolutely stacked roster for the last three years, and yet this guy is a true freshman, true sophomore, true junior, got on the field as a starter all three years, had elite PF, PFF grades in every single season. He's a phenomenal blocker. He's great with yards after the catch. He's tough over the middle. He reminds me a lot of George Kittle, and, and not just in the production and kind of like stylistic way, but also measurables. You, you, answer, you asked that question, and that's the big question. Where do you draft not only a tight end, but Bowers himself is, 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 is kind of unique in maybe not a great way. When you look at his measurables, Georgia has him listed at six foot four, 240 pounds. Okay. He is somebody who, as Dalton said, he's, he's totally right. You play him like in line, you play him as a wingback, you play him close to the line of scrimmage. You could play him in the slot as well, but the six foot four heights, just 38th percentile for tight ends and 240 pounds is sixth percentile Light. for NFL tight ends. So what is this guy going to show up at, at the combine when it comes to height and weight and what are his testing numbers going to be? Because George Kittle, sort of the same way. George Kittle was right around 6'4". I think he was like 247 at the combine, 245 at the combine, something like that. So he was a little bit bigger. And I feel like that's going to be Brock Bauer's goal. But where you draft him is going to be interesting. I think he's going to grade out as a top five film grade player for me in this class. But I think what got Kyle Pitts drafted as high as he was, was not only his ability, but he had the measurables, right? Yeah. He had the six six frame, and people were able to be like, "Look at the, how huge this guy is," and everything. You don't get to say that with Bowers, and instead, and instead, if he doesn't show up with the measurable numbers, you might then have that as a detractor for him. Now, it's 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 not worth more than the film, but you guys know that's sometimes what matters a lot to owners and GMs yeah. and head coaches. You just don't want to have that doubt in your head. So, even though he's supremely talented, I think anywhere within the top twenty, I will say, is realistic for him. You know, when it comes to the Indianapolis Colts picking at 15, Cincinnati Bengals at 18, like those to me are the floor for him. He ain't getting past both of those teams, that's for sure. But I, I just it, it's going to be interesting where he ends up going because he's got the film to go top five, be a top five player. But the position and his measurables might go into him sliding a little bit further than that. All right, there's Brock Bowers. Are there any other tight ends here in this class that we need to be aware of from a fantasy perspective? Trev, I'll throw it back to you first. I think Jutavian Sanders is probably the biggest one. Five-star from Texas, very similar, really athletically gifted. Uh, big dude, big frame. Played the last couple of years, started this past year, was a full-time guy in their passing offense. And he is somebody who you could do a lot of stuff with. You could play him in line. You could play him in the slot. He's not the receiver or the blocker, certainly, that Brock Bowers is. Um, but he got a little bit better this year, and you can see flashes of it. So there's a lot of building blocks there. He's a young player as well. I believe he's just a true junior or redshirt sophomore, one of those things. But he's a three-year player. So young dude, I think you certainly if you're drafting him, I think he's going to be probably a second-round pick if I had to guess just because of how talented he is and how athletic he is. But 
man, outside of him, I wonder if Dalton's got any other names to, that, that come to mind because outside of those two dudes, you really look at this tight end class and it's just kind of like, all right, it's just a lot of, it's good football players, but I don't know if they're going to be fantasy players, right? Like I like Cade Stover. I want Cade Stover mm-hmm. from Ohio State on yes. my football team, right? But like, I don't, I don't know how much he's going to give a team in fantasy relevance. He might give you two to three hard-nosed catches, like first down catches a game. So you love to have that on your team, but you're not drafting that in fantasy. You know, I think Ben Sinat's another kind of like Swiss Army knife type of a tight end uh, that Kansas State is used in a lot of ways, who's a good player. Um, Dalen Holker from uh, Colorado State is somebody who I like. He really kind of burst onto the scene this year. He's going to be a much older prospect because he took a um, church missionary mission for two years before he kind of got back into college football. So he was going to be an older prospect, but um, I, I, I think he's going to be gifted enough as a blocker and and adequate enough as a receiver to get on the film. But again, like those three guys a lot, are they going to be fantasy relevant? Mm, I'm not so sure. Dalton, what are your takeaways from the rest of this tight end class? Yeah, for me, it, it comes down to can, can Jatavian Sanders get to the Colts in the second round? Because I think if he can get to Shane Steichen, Shane Steichen yeah. can use him a lot like he used Dallas Goddard. Because I, I think what you saw from him at Texas was getting some of those manufactured touches um, in the screen game for them. And I think that's really where he fits best. Um, and then they can run 12 personnel. Uh, because they also have Jelani Woods who can kind of streak down the field and be that seam threat. Uh, I think when you look at the rest of the tight end group, yeah, Cade Stover's great, but tight end is a very interesting position where you have those very, very top guys, especially in fantasy football. You have those very, very top guys, and then you have a bunch of guys who can just give you like 500 to 750 yards a season. And, you know, you hope you get some touchdown luck. But I think when you look at this, when we look at, you know, from an athletic standpoint, somebody like Jaheim Bell, is somebody who, from an athletic standpoint, you see it. Yeah. But consistency with Bell is just not there right now. Right. So I, I think you really have to bet on those top two guys, in my opinion. And then after that, from a fantasy relevancy standpoint, it's just not really there. All right. There is the 2024 NFL Draft preview as we turn the page officially into Dynasty season. Trev, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule here. This is getting to your busy time. But like I said at the beginning... It's dynasty season. It's the off season when Trev and I get back on a podcast together, man. What do you got going on here as we move into this off season that people need to know about? Where can they find and follow you on social media? Oh man. Well, we're doing a ton of draft stuff. I know you guys obviously are doing a lot of great draft stuff as well over at PFF.com. Uh, so and for your listeners, after you listen to this wonderful podcast, if you want to come over to the NFL stock exchange with myself and Connor Rogers, uh, two times a week, we're doing this on YouTube and audio formats uh, covering the nfl draft we're doing you know team-centric mock drafts full 32 team mock drafts uh we're doing all sorts of breakdowns right now we're kind of in the middle of a uh, fix your franchise series where we're taking some of the not so great teams in the nfl they're picking higher in the draft and we're seeing what the possibilities are for them so anybody who's into the nfl draft come over and hang out at the nfl stock exchange podcast absolutely phenomenal podcast there with trev and connor rogers two of my very good friends in this industry make sure to check that out additionally pfnscouting.com dalton's work can be found there ian cummings the work is non-stop here and we are going to have you covered here as we move towards the 2024 nfl draft make sure to rate and review the podcast if you're listening leave us a like and a comment here on youtube if you're watching youtube.com slash pfn fantasy that'll do it for trevor sycamore and dalton miller i'm kyle yates thanks for watching and we'll see you next time